0: Hey, podcast listeners. Today I will be speaking with Sharice Zrunin. Sharice is a filmmaker in the Boston area where she writes, directs, produces uh, films, feature films. She's done a feature film, a few shorts, and a television series that she's working on the, that she just shot the pilot for. So uh, she's a very talented person, and it's great to hear stories like this because. We often complain as independent filmmakers of, like, you know, lack of opportunity or ability to get Hollywood to recognize us. And you can't do that. You can't wait for Hollywood to come knocking on your door because no matter how brilliant you think you are, there's hundreds of thousands of other just as brilliant people out there doing the same thing. And so if you're not going to make your films, they're not going to get made. And that's exactly what Sharice has done. And so it's really fantastic to hear her story about how she's gone about doing some of her projects, some of the lessons that she's learned, uh, mistakes that she's made, what she learned from those mistakes, how she improved upon her filmmaking for the next project. And um, so that's, Pretty much it. I'm not gonna do a big long intro this time around. I'm just going to say stay tuned for Sharice Zerunian. I can't help but feel good. I can't help but feel fine. Ziroun- no. no. Sharice.
1: Yeah, it's like Therese, but with a but with the chef.
0: Charisse. Yeah. Say it a few times. I might get it.
1: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I can't think of anything it really rhymes with. So I would, I would tell you, but.
0: ah, uh, No worries. I'll, I'll have it. I'll get it.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, it's great to talk to you. Me sure. too. And
1: course.
0: you're in Boston, right?
1: I'm in Boston. Yeah.
0: Okay. Are you originally from Boston?
1: Yeah, I was born in Boston and okay. I, um, I grew up nearby. So
0: uh, so, do a lot of Bostonians have like that accent that we associate with Bostonians from movies?
1: Yeah, some some of them really do. Like, I I I had some like teachers and stuff in school growing up where they were just like um, some of them would be like like no, like you can't go in there, you can't go in there. Like, okay, kindergartners, first graders, like like, but I um. The thing, another thing with Boston, like, I guess any other major city is, like, it's home to a lot of immigrants and stuff, so, you know, sometimes, when, like, they come from other countries, or, like, your parents come from other countries, like, minded, like, and you you might not, they don't have that accent, so, like, you just grow up kind of talking the way they talk, and it kind of, like, like like, melts together with, the, the regional accent so you never get a full like I never went full like Pak the Khan Havayad because neither my, my parents are from the U S so
0: right so I, okay where are your parents from
1: they're from they're from Iran but they're Armenian there's a lot of Armenians Iran there's like a whole like Armenians migrated for a lot of reasons like across mm-hmm. the Middle East and, and Russia and stuff so they came here like after the Iranian Revolution okay. So that's why I, I didn't go full like Mad Damon and Goodwill Hunting. That's why I sound like this.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of what I was uh, usually expect. But it's yeah. funny because like other people I talk to from the East Coast as well, like Boston and others, they, they don't have the accent either. And it's yeah. like I have yet to actually meet a person that has that stereotypical boston accent that we expect here
1: i meet them all the time it's usually people like whose family's been here for like three four generations like they got the old time accent where like they sound like the kennedys are like you can't do this oh, yeah. and,
0: uh-huh. but
1: i um it's funny because in, in my web series which i know we're going to talk about mm-hmm. um sandbox police it's um i wanted to like I wanted this character to be, like, very far from me because I feel like a lot of stuff I do is, like, you know, takes place in, like, the Northeast or Mass, and I thought, okay, I want this character to be from California. <laughs> so I, like, I had to kind of, like, be cognizant of certain things. Like, I can't – I couldn't say aunt anymore. I had to say mm-hmm. aunt, like, referring mm-hmm. friends. Like, like I would naturally say aunt and uncle because that's how people here say it, but I just say like, aunt and uncle, and I couldn't say things like – um like, I couldn't say RMV because we say re- registry of motor vehicles, it's not department of motor vehicles, but uh-huh. I say like DMV and stuff yeah. like that. Or like kind of, I really had to like erase a lot of the East Coast-isms. Well, I did, I did have my characters. So I said like her her mom was from New Hampshire, just, you know, to to explain away any, like sometimes I, I'll accidentally drop R's sometimes. Like the other day I said like better or something. I was like, oh my God, like it's mm-hmm. happening. Like the transition into Hap the is happening. So I was trying to like, I explained the way, like, oh, like her, like mom's from New Hampshire. That's why she doesn't sound like a surfer.
0: Nice little addition to the script. Oh yeah, her mother's from uh, yeah. That's why we get yeah. that. Well, let's start before we get to the web series. Uh, let's back it up a little bit. And so you're a writer, uh, an author, and a uh, filmmaker. Yes. So uh, what got you into filmmaking?
1: Well, it was kind of you know some people like they kind of know what they want to be like from the get go. I was definitely not like that. But I had always had a great aptitude for anything that was like humanities like arts related and especially literary stuff like i come from film from a writing background like dialogue and the script is like the most important thing to me Mm -hmm. it's the most you know it's what i concentrate most on when i watch other films or tv shows too i started reading very early and like when i was in like preschool i used to read to my friends and they would all like gather around and i used to write like little stories like in kindergarten i loved like when it was time for writer's workshop and i would like write a story and when i was in first grade. We, I went on another uh, radio show recently and I can't believe I forgot to tell this story, but I will tell it now. It's um, when I was in first grade, I, um, we had to write a story for an assignment and I wrote when it was right after Thanksgiving and I wrote about um, what Thanksgiving had been like that year for my family, which is um, now that in that year, um, 2002 in, in Boston, there's a huge blizzard on Thanksgiving, like, we got, like, six feet of snow or something, and I, so, I remember that very vividly. I remember going sledding with my neighbors after, like, helping my dad cook, so I, um, I wrote about that, and my teacher came up to me and said, like, come over here, and I thought I was in trouble because I was constantly in trouble. At Hmm. that age, I was like, oh, my God, like, is this about you know, what I did in the cafeteria the other day, like, uh uh-oh, like, I'm going to get it now. And she goes, no, come over here. You're not in trouble. And I go, that's a first. I'm not in trouble. And she was like, um, come on, we're going to go to the principal's office. And I go, all right, now you're freaking me out. Why are we going to the principal's office? I'm not in trouble. She's like, no, no, no. We're going to call your mom and read her this story because I think the story is so good that I want you to read it to your mom. And I was like, okay, is this like, am I on punk? Like, what is this? Like, but no, we really went to the principal's office so I could call my mom and read that story. And I remember feeling like, this is very weird. Like, I didn't think it was a particularly, I was just like, okay. Like, I didn't think it was a particularly, like, earth-shattering Even at the age of seven But I thought Well you know Maybe I could be good at this
0: Do you still have that story?
1: No I don't I wish I did It's probably like In the depths of like My basement or something Like in the dusty Abyss of my Mm. basement Yeah that was one Of the most important I guess Defining moments What made me want to write When I was a kid I used to write like Little poems and things Or like little stories about like my stuffed animals. I wrote a story for like a school newspaper about my stuffed animals going on a trip to San Francisco. Cause I'd gone to San Francisco recently. So I, not recently, well recently then <laughs> I thought, yeah, this'd be a great story. And I just really liked it. And when I got older, I would write stories, but I would imagine them as movies in my head. And now I had also gotten into maybe like 12, 13, um, I had gotten into like actually using a camera. Like, I my parents had a camcorder, and you couldn't take that thing out of my hands for for like a few years. I always like had it, and I was like, I would film like family events and things, and like I, I would put. I also learned to edit when I was twelve, hmm. and um, video edit.
0: Yeah, I would say, how did you edit? Like, so when you were twelve, uh, yeah, would, would that that would have been on computer editing or? No, yeah, that... oh,
1: it was no, I um I I, I am. I, um, that was half a lifetime ago for me. I'm 24. So it was not, it was So so
0: roughly yeah, 12 years ago. So, okay. Okay. So yeah. All right. Sorry. When I think when I was 12, like (laughs) that was like VHS days and stuff.
1: No, it's like, it was on the computer. And when people say now, like, um, actual film editing, like when you cut up the film, like I can't fathom that. Mm -hmm. So like when you have to actually cut the cut the little piece of film together. I was like, what, how do people do that? But no, I, um, I did it on windows movie maker, which is like, it comes with your computer. It's the most yep. primitive, like awful thing. Like now after using like all the advanced stuff, I've gone back to it. i been like, how did I do this? This is terrible. Like you can do two functions on it. And it's just, um, it's like, it's like more primitive than iMovie. And that's saying something, but like,
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds I, about right. Yeah.
1: I enjoyed it. And I used to put like music on them. I used to put like captions on them. We had, like, a bouncy – I still have this one. We had, we had like, a bouncy house for my brother's birthday, but it was def- – like, I pulled the plug while he was in it. No, actually, no, he pulled the plug while I was in it. That was the prank. Like, he made a movie out of it, and, mm-hmm. like, he tried to climb in it, and I put, like, captions on it saying, like, oh, no, it's the monster or, like, something. And Like, I made, like, a movie out of it. It was just so fun. I thought that kind of stuff was fun. Just put it together. So I started doing that. I never considered it, like, as a career, really, though. Like, I had thought about it, but I was, like, ah, uh, like, and everybody was telling me, like, you know, I, the same old stuff that people often hear. It's like, what are you going to do with that as a career? Or, like, you don't live in New York or L.A., so what's the point? And um, then it's so it's funny because I went to college to originally become a teacher. And um, that, that didn't work out for a variety of reasons. I mean, it's, um, I love kids. I love working with kids. Um, but teaching itself I'm sure a lot of artists and creative people know this, like traditional schooling and artistry or creativity don't usually mix well.
0: That was my my schooling experience. My artistry didn't mix well with the traditional education <laughs> a system. <laughs>
1: schooling experience. It's funny, I, I'm a, I used to be, I was an after school teacher, actually, um, for the past, I, I stopped this year, but um, I was an after school teacher for a little bit. And it reinforced how much, le- like, why I did not have a good time in education program, because it was very much like, if you don't teach your me, you can't have any pudding, like Pink Floyd in the wall. like. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, again, it's just, it's funny because I think the best teachers are the ones who are out of the box, but sadly, those are the ones who end up being, like, vilified by their own department or, like, ostracized because they're different. Stuff. and I was like, yeah, you know, but um, I had, so I went out of that education program, and um, I forgot to say, I, I, start, I started college in 2014. I graduated in 2018 as a film major, because I, I switched. I switched a couple times. I majored a couple times, and um, I sort of denied myself the chance to do film and writing, and I thought, why not? You know, it's, I'll be happier. My grades won't be in the toilet, so like, Yeah, let's try. And I was much happier when I switched. I took a lot of courses that really changed my life with like certain professors. And we learned, I took a course on indie film. And that's what I think really started me actually making serious films because a lot of the films that we were shown were things like, you know, we watched like some of John Cassavetes' movies, which he made with um, not a ton of money. He made outside the system. You know, we watched films like early films that Greta Gerwig was in that were filmed with like a little rinky-dinky camcorder. And that's what really said to me, because before going in to this program, I was like most people, most Americans really, who are like, oh, my God, like if it's not a, a $5 million blockbuster, it's not legit. Indie film, who wants to watch that? Da, da, da. And then once I actually took the course, and these movies, some of them were really beautiful. And they, they, were, they, were, they impacted me emotionally. And I thought, you know what? You know, this, this, this It made me feel like I could do it because I thought I don't have to wait for someone to drop a million bucks on my head like I can start now. And so I did, I started making some films with literally just using all the, like just things I had at home. And I made like a little micro short film, big people talking, which I just made literally like the, like the toys in my room. That's all it was. And it, um, we put it in, I put it in a festival on a whim and it played in the festival and it like, um, it was another festival and it, got like honorable mention at one which eh, it's not the same as being played but it's not an outright rejection and then I um I made a feature no this well a 37 minute film I don't know if I would call it a feature but it's Depends like, on the
0: festival like a lot of festivals nowadays yeah, yeah you it needs to be i think under 20 minutes to be considered a short and yeah yeah you know, so that's in that like no man's land of exactly. <laughs> depending on the festival
1: well then i guess i would call it a feature a short feature and i um i made another one and um and again you know there's nothing wrong with making films with a lot of money you know i would love it if someone dropped a million dollars in my head but no one's going to do that so i just use what i had but there is some honor in it like to just And, you know, there's a lot of respect for, for, you know, I have a lot of respect for people like that who just use their, like, ingenuity and their their creativity and their resourcefulness to do stuff with what they have, so.
0: Yeah, well, that's the great thing about now the world that we currently live in in, is the fact that people can do that. I mean, you've got access to cameras, you've got access to sound equipment, you've got access to computers with editing, Mm -hmm. you know, and so you don't need a big budget film production in order to make something decent. And that's the great thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And there was, I've seen films that had like a real like stellar production values, but the film itself had like no substance or it was Mm -hmm. like a recycled story. And it was like, come on, like, but, and I've had some actors I've worked with who, I mean, if you want to get into said stories, like we filming my, um, my my actual long feature um, that la- that is an, about an hour and six minutes long. It's called the Mouse and the Bread. And I don't. Know, as far as language goes on this podcast, like, can I can I can I say? You S-show? can swear all you okay. want. Yes, it uh-huh. was a complete shit show. Yeah, <laughs> production. Like we had like um, I had like well my the first day like my tripod got stolen on the train. <laughs> when I was when I was taking. I didn't have a car at the time.
0: Did you see the person stealing it? Or no. Did it see, just- what
1: happened was it was ne- I don't even know what happened. Like it was next to me on the train, and I sat next to this guy, and like you know, I'm a. I'm like a nice person. So I, like, I'll sit next to people if they're like alone and stuff. And I like seem to be a magnet for like crazy, like conspiracy theorists. Cause like this guy started talking to me and he wouldn't stop. And he was talking like all sorts of crazy things. He was like, did you young lady, did you know that Abraham Lincoln was in a secret society to control the world? And, and I was like, and I didn't want to like upset him by like not listening. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I didn't know that, I've never heard that, (laughs) I'm like, and so I'm trying, like, I'm like, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, like, I hope I don't get, like, murdered by this guy, like, in front of all these people, and it was time to get off, he wouldn't even stop talking, because it was, like, time for me to get off, so I was like, all right, bye-bye, bye-bye, and I was so distracted, and I had, like, 15 pounds of, like, other equipment with me, like, my camera, and, like, my bags, and things, and I realized my tripod wasn't there, and I was like, ah, and I went down to the station, like, a week later, and nobody returned the tripod. So mm. we had to use like, I think we had to use like a table or books or something to like, for one of the scenes shot in the bedroom. And it was a disaster. Like I had, um, I, I, I had so many like meltdowns during the production of that. Like there was one day where, and look, I, um, as I have said before, and like other interviews and like on my social media, like I'm not the type of person to like doll up. The realities of what it means to be a filmmaker who's working with very little, you know, and very little resources. You know, I'm not going to make it sound like it's the best. You know, it, it's it's going to be completely all roses in this. I'm not interested in that. So I'm going to say it was so tough to film that. Like, I don't even. I mean, people say like, what was the budget for this? I'm like, it was probably like like twenty dollars. Like it was so. It was. I was using like my DSLR to film. Mm-hmm. and it was just beautiful picture quality, but, like, the sound quality is dog shit. Like, you do Oh, not- you
0: were recording sound directly into the camera?
1: Yeah. I Oh, had a
0: yeah. Mic, I had that. an extra
1: mic, but it was, like, it was so bad. Like, it was a type you had to get really, really close for it to work, and no actor's going to be like this with mm-hmm. the camera, like, leaning into it, into the mic, so we couldn't do that. And, like, we had somebody else brought an external mic but again that one wasn't great either and so we were like all right fine maybe I'll fix it in post which seems to be the mantra for like most student filmmakers like I'll fix it in post (laughs) yeah and I tried very hard to fix it in post like my boyfriend god bless him he's a sound engineer at a radio station even he was like I I can't like (laughs) he's like this is this he he, uh, he's very talented you know production person he like does commercials and stuff but he's like I I can't work this so it's just beyond anything anybody could do and it was like because we had to film outside you could hear like birds chirping and stuff and it was like um we had to film it's funny There are scenes in it that were filmed in my the apartment that I lived in before I lived in my current house I lived in um I lived in Cambridge, mass until I was three, and then I moved to Belmont, Mass, which is where I live now, which is um very close to Boston, and it's um it was my my apartment that we lived in my parents like they rented it they still rent it out to people, but at that time it was empty, so we used it to film and we had like i think it was our air conditioning unit that was making a lot of noise and like we couldn't turn it off like it was ninety degrees, nobody wanted to do that. <laughs> Not that I knew how, like, I certainly didn't want to, like, draw my parents' ire by, like, messing with something and not knowing it. But, like, you can hear, like, from the air conditioning. And, like, you can hear the dialogue, but we had to do some, like, crazy things with the dialogue to compensate for it in post. And it was, like, sometimes it just, like, the sound almost sounds, like, robotic. (laughs) Like, it's, like... I don't know like it almost sounds auto-tuned and like for like two lines of it and I was like "Ugh, what can you do and now again some people like would overlook things like this I'm willing to overlook things like that if you know the story is compelling enough and if the dialogue is good enough because that's what's most important to me but some people were very rude <laughs> about it like I had a screening of Mouse and the Bread It was in, and I I don't do physical screenings anymore, certainly not now because of COVID, but um, I had a few, some were well attended and some really were not. And there's this one disastrous screening in Providence where one person showed up. (laughs) Oh. One person, it was in a library, and it was a branch of the uh, Providence Public Library. And this one guy showed up and I said, fine, okay, we'll give him a private screening, like whatever. And so we did, and at the end, and he was just, I'm like, so what did you think? And this guy was just such a, I, I told the story of this on my personal vlog channel on YouTube. This guy was just such an asshole. Like he, he, not, not, it's not because he didn't like it. Like that's fine. This is opinion. But like he was contradicting himself constantly. He's like, oh, film today is, it's too homogenous. We see too much of the same things, but it shouldn't look like this. This is way too different. I'm like, <laughs> and then he goes, um, you know, um, the film, it's very raw, you know, it's very raw, and we need to see more, we need to see more raw films, but not like this, it's like, what do you, make up your mind, dude, and he was like, and he kind of admitted to, like, having no life outside of, like, coming to the library, and just, like, hanging around and watching films, like, I come here to watch films all the time, I'm always here, and, like, he said, like, I've seen, he, this one, this one really pissed me off, he was like, I've seen films at youth film festivals that were more advanced than this. I'm like, okay, so you mean like a 13-year-old whose parents threw like 6,000 bucks at him? I mean, <laughs> come on. I, I kind of eviscerated him a little bit, let's say. Like I was trying to, and I was, um I wasn't like screaming at him. But I was like very passionately telling him like, okay, like if you think this and why don't you give me the money? Why don't you, you know, that's, that's my, that's my response to people. Like if you want to be an asshole, if you feel it should be the same way, then give the artist the money to make a film
0: or make a better film yourself. Like that's the one I always think that's funny is people are so critical and it's like, well, until you make something better, you probably yeah. shouldn't criticize. Yeah. Well,
1: one of my films on well water, which, um, it definitely gets trashed less than mouse and the bread. I mean, maybe because it's more, it's more, it's less of a mind fucking. And I've heard people say like, who are, I've had people who really like mouse and the bread. I've had people say like, um, you know, it impacted them emotionally. It reminded them of, you know, um, conflicts going on in their life where you know they felt the same way as the characters and they could relate to it you know they could relate to someone who feels different or alienated and you know like as a main character does and it it impacts a lot of people but oh that's another thing i've said to people when they say i couldn't relate to this film i go okay i'm very glad your life has been so good that you can't relate to someone being bullied or someone being in a bad marriage or Mm. someone you know not having friends like god bless you if that's been your life that's awesome and you're probably not the right viewer.
0: But. <laughs> uh, so what did you take from that film in regards to what did you learn that you brought onto your next film to make the next one better?
1: Um, I, pro- I probably learned to stress a little less, like, cause there was a moment and I'm really not proud of it, but like I was just one day I didn't have transportation other than the train to get to it was the train station. And then um, the house where we were filming and I didn't like, I had like, I don't know what it was about the production of this film, but like I had, at, at least during the production, like three different actors, like their aunts all died and they had to go to the funeral. They're like, I'm sorry, my aunt passed away. I can't film today. I was like, oh, that's fine. They're like, And one week later, I'm sorry, my aunt passed away. It was a different actor. Like people, yeah. I don't know what it was about this film. It was like, Kurt, Like people's aunts kept dying. I don't know why I'm laughing at that. <laughs> like, it was, how? what are the odds?
0: Maybe maybe they wanted the day off and they were like, well, the ant excuse worked last weekend for the other person. So I'm going to use it this weekend for my, oh, you Oh, know.
1: that's right. Yeah, I didn't think yeah. of that. But like, no, but of <laughs> course, like, because I, you know, I'm I'm not a jerk. Um, most of the time I said, I was, I was like, no, you know, I'm, oh, that's fine. You know, it's totally yeah, you fine. Can't you
0: can't not nothing. like, yeah. I
1: understand. So like, we had to scramble to get replacements or we had to write that person's scene out. And then like, I had like, it was like a, a very hot day. I had like a bunch of equipment with me. I had no help up uh, by myself and I kind of like melted down and I started like texting people in a fury because like the person whose house you were using wasn't answering his phone. And, um, and I don't mean to sound like, I'm you know, like bitching about them or anything like they, they did a lot for us. You know, they, um, they opened up, they opened our ho- their home to us and like we kind of had to disrupt their family life a little bit and we're, I'm very grateful to them. But, um, I was just, it's just a fact they weren't answering their phone that day and I was I was feeling really stressed out and I was I started melting down texting people like um like why is no one helping me Dadada, you're not helping me I gotta do this by myself and like I and like I made some people really upset and I felt so bad about it and because I know I don't normally act like that I was just very very stressed out and um and, and projects I've done after that, I definitely felt a little less stressed. But I think it's because I had more means. Like when I did my TV pilot, I just wrapped up the production for. I definitely had more means to do that, and definitely shows. Like I work with a company um, out of Rockland, Massachusetts, which is um, for those who um, don't know, it's um, it's bit far. It's a bit far from Boston. It's it's southern Massachusetts, and it's they're um, they're a great company. And they, um, you know, stellar equipment, great production values and great people. And I had a ton of help, you know, and I had a legit crew for that one. Like with Mouse and the Bread, it was like me and two friends who were like maybe available. Some days like we had to have actors take turns with the camera. Like that's how, that's how yeah. bad, that's how bad a shit show it was. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not dissing the actors at all. You know, they stepped up when they had to, and I'm glad. That they that they were willing to do that. Like just anyone who works with me knows I'm not known for organization. I have ADHD, I'll say it. I didn't know it at the time. I got diagnosed later, but I struggled forever. And it's um it definitely comes out when I work. Like I'm not the most um, on top of things. There, there definitely will be like missing materials when you work with me. We had one day, I didn't have a memory card <laughs> for my camera. I left it in my computer at home, I think, or something. Or I left it in I you know, this little the uh, little case, my different camera bag. And so um, one of the actor's husbands, God bless him, he went out and he got a memory card from CBS and he brought it in the middle of production. It's things like that where I'm like, you, you're the real MVP. Like, it's awesome. awesome that's that nice when that. you can but find people that have like that. So <laughs> it like, felt so bad. It was like, I shouldn't, like, why do people pick up my slack? And that's something I feel guilty about all the time in a lot of areas of my life, not just film. And it's something I really try I really try not to let stuff like that show, but it's hard it's not mm. it's my control but I um but it always ends up we end up having a good time you know it's um I think I've learned to stress a little less over the process and focus more on the results I think definitely because even if the process doesn't go right like in the end you, like you make something and people have a good time at least I mean they said they had a good time you know they could just be. <laughs> you or me, but no, we had a lot of fun.
0: Okay. Well, tell me about the TV pilot. So what, what is that project and what's it like working with a proper crew compared to having to just kind of do everything yourself?
1: Oh, well, it's great. And, um, there's still some stuff I do myself, like casting, which is the bane of my existence for every production. It's the worst for me. It's my least favorite part is casting. And auditioning, just because it's so much.
0: How do you find actors? Yeah, like uh, where do you find actors or how do you... How do you Social issue? media okay.
1: is a blessing for these things because like I go on... Well, for, for Wellwater, for that one, because it was, it was a film I made in college. I was using um, this thing. It was a special database that was available specifically to the film students. It would, it would connect film students at BU, um, Boston University for people listening. It connected the the student filmmakers to people in the in the Boston area who were actors and looking for work. Okay, and I tried to hold an in-person casting call on campus, which you can do, but there are so many problems. Like we asked the department for a room and they said, Oh, I'm sorry, you can't have this room anymore. because We're going to give it to someone else for a function. So I had to move rooms like three times. And then we finally have to do it in like a couch in one of the, like the, the school of communi- the college communication buildings. And that was a, a nightmare. So I said, no more in person. We're doing video audition. And, um, it was slightly easier to do a video audition. I mean, like I would send people like a monologue and I would ask them to read it. And then I would judge who I thought was the best. Yeah. That's how I found my actors. And that's and how you
0: cast. So what's the TV pilot? What's the name of it? Is that, that is that one plus two? One
1: plus one. one
0: yes, yeah, one plus one, sir one plus one is two, right? It's
1: two. Okay.
0: Yes. So that's the TV pilot. So, uh, your actors for that. You did virtual auditions uh, for that.
1: I did. Yeah. And that one, because I was out of school, I had no longer had access to the BU database. So what I did was there's, there's sites all over um, Facebook. Um, I'm sure that every major city has their own version of this, but in, in Boston and, you know, around Massachusetts, it's, there's a group called Boston Actors. There's a group called Hollywood East. There's a group called like New England Actors. And all you got to do, I remember like when I was casting Mouse and the Bread, I, um, I sent out, I remember it was like right as I was getting on a plane um, I had literally sent for my phone, like friends, I'm looking for actors that fit this description, this demographic, this age, Da da you know, early twenties, late twenties, late fifties. And I posted it. I turned off my phone. And when I landed in Florida, I opened my phone. I, I, I turned on my phone. I opened Facebook because the first thing you do, you know, when you, when you land is, you know, to let people know you cheated death, you know, <laughs> as I do, <laughs> and I, I, I was doing that. I opened Facebook. I had like I think like close to 60 notifications. Like, I want to be in it, I want to be in it. Here's my reel. Here's my reel. And I was like, oh what have I done? Well,
0: that's great though.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is great. But I was like, oh dear, like I got all these reels. And keeping track of it was really difficult because it's like you send something just to one person, but they're like, Oh, I didn't get this. Can you send it again? Cause it got buried in my emails. Or I had another weird thing where like I would send screenshots. Of like different pages, but like for some reason Google like even when you send things in order, like Gmail sometimes like um I don't know, when you when you attach pictures, sometimes like they don't always show up in the wrong order. So I had people in their auditions sometimes for one plus one is two, it happened a lot. Like they would read the pages out of order and I'm like, uh that's not how <laughs> it's supposed to go. And they're like, Oh sorry, this is the way it looked when I when I opened yeah. the attachments in Google, like instead of you know, pick one, pick two, pick three it would, for some reason, attach as, like, pick two, pick three, pick one. Hmm. So <laughs> that was a whole journey. You know, I'm, I, I've had some really talented actors, and I was blessed to have um, the actors I've worked with. You know, I feel like I make good choices in terms of casting. And I've had people say, like, you're, you're not using professionals. It's like, so what? I mean, all I need is someone who can read the, like not read the lines like Stephen Hawking. And, you know, con- con- convey the emotions well enough. Yeah. And if it's someone who I fit, you know, that'll be good. I mean, there have been times where I will, like, for example, 1 plus 1 is 2 is very tricky to cast because it goes, it just goes throughout time. Like it goes from like the 60s to, you know, the year 2018, which is when it takes place, to like the 70s. And so you got to get like the child versions of an actor who's like 50, you know, of a character who's like 58 years old now. You gotta get like the 17 year old version. You gotta get like the five year old version. So I had to make sure I was picking actors and actresses who possibly looked enough like the older or the younger versions, just so it makes sense. And I sent out an email. I was picking little girls for um, the role of, I think like the nine to 12 year old version of the main character's daughter. And I sent out, because I knew, like, if I was 12 years old and I got a rejection, I would have probably been very upset. And I sent out something saying, like, um, but for this one, it was down to, like, three actresses. And I said, um, you know, like, I liked you all. I saw, you know, you all were really gifted actresses. But unfortunately, because I had to pick, you know, I picked this actress because she looked like the grown-up version. Like, that's all it was. So if I didn't pick you, it doesn't mean I don't like you or that you're not talented. It's just, like, I needed someone, like, with, light brown hair, but, like, I didn't want... I couldn't have someone, like, with, like, jet black hair or, like, red hair, for example. Yeah. Or, like, I cast... um For the pilot, I had cast um the main character's husband and his, his sister. They were supposed to be twins in the original story. And I had cast, originally, an actress who plausibly, like, looked like she could be, like, a female, like, twin. Of this actor but she dropped out like two days before you're supposed to film I was like oh thanks so but I think the next the next most talented actress um, looked nothing like him like she's she's blonde and she's and and uh, she just she doesn't look like him but I thought you know she's really talented and she, I thought she said her lines well and I said you know what like i you know I'll take her why not you know maybe they'll be brother and sister but they won't be twins anymore
0: with the pilot, how did you get involved with this uh, production company? How did did they find you, or did you find them? Did you? I found them. Did you take the story to them and say, "Hey, I want to do this. Will you produce it?" Like, what, what was that process?
1: I, I took the pilot script to them and okay. I told them what it was about. I'll I'll, I'll say what the story is about now. It took place in 1968 in Massachusetts. And the main character is a woman named Mariel Morin, who, and I just, I have to always stress, she's a fictional character. People ask if she's a real historical figure. I say, no, I made this person up entirely. Everything in this is, like, it's people I made up. Um, And Mariel Morin, in 1968, was 28 years old. She was um, a wife, she was a mother, and... um, she was just a stay-at-home mom, but as a kid in the 40s and 50s, she struggled a lot in school. You Back then, they had no way to diagnose disabilities. Um, you would call her dyslexic today. She struggled, like, reading and writing and things like that, and um, so she had to drop out of school, and she went on to, like, work at a supermarket before getting married and having her daughter, and... Um, So now she's, in 1968, she's a stay-at-home mom, and she, at that time, only one in five kids with disabilities would go to school. And, you know, the other four who were able enough to go were not treated well. Not that they're treated super well now, but back then it was way worse. They were, like, completely closed off from the rest of the student body, and it was just, um, it was very much, it was not what it is today. And so she... And some other parents um, in the area in Cambridge, they live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, which I picked because one, um, what, many people don't know this, but one of the first schools to practice integration of kids with disabilities and non, kids with who don't have disabilities um, was in Cambridge in 1972, I think the Haggerty School. So it's a famous school for that reason. That's why I picked Cambridge. And also because nobody knows where Belmont, Massachusetts is. That's where I live. But um, anyway, so yeah, in Cambridge. So she gets a bunch of parents together from Cambridge, Massachusetts and neighboring cities and towns in Massachusetts to start a grassroots movement. You know, they do like rallies and protests and they like talk to the administrations to like see what they can do to improve and increase education, access to public education. But um, she becomes so obsessed with her cause that it starts to take her t- a toll on her family and, you know, her relationships with her friends. And because part of it is, like, she is a benevolent character. She really does want to help. But it, it, her motives aren't entirely altruistic because she, um, part of it is because she wants to avenge the way she was treated as a kid. Like, she wasn't treated well by her dad, you know, growing up, or her sister. I mean, she had a great relationship with her mom, but not with her dad and her sister. Like, they made fun of her a lot. And, like, she was bullied in school and stuff like that. So she's like, okay, I want to be on top now. and But that desire to be on top, it, like, she, she goes so far with it that, like, you know, it affects her, her marriage. It affects, you know, her parenting. It affects her friendships. You know, it just kind of shows what happens when, like, an activist is not, you know, a complete hero. Like, when they mess up a lot and they um, are not completely sympathetic. So that was the play but um, the TV version now takes place it's very expensive to film something all in like the period the historical drama because you got to get old cars and old clothes and things for the whole thing it's just very expensive so it's set in 2018 and Marielle by this time is 78 years old and at this point now she's a grandmother She's a great-grandmother, and her um, she's had a whole career behind her in advocacy, you know, special education advocacy, all that, and she's become a really prominent figure in this movement. So her daughter, who's uh, 57 at the time it starts, um, and her, her husband are writing a book about her life and her legacy, but the, the, the story really focuses on, because when you're writing a book about someone, you know, a biography of someone, and especially if it's someone close to you, you've got to tell, you know, the whole truth, like the good, the bad, and the ugly. So as they're writing, the show goes back and forth in time to examine like the mistakes she made as a parent and a spouse and a friend, and also like the victories, like the triumphs she had in these areas and the good things she did. It focuses mostly on parenting, like as a topic, like um, how moms and dads and kids too can make 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 mistakes and you know sometimes they hurt each other and um you know what does it mean to to be a parent what does it mean to um to repeat the patterns that's another big thing um you see a lot of the same behaviors repeat like a lot of people repeating the same behaviors that their, par- that their parents did like a lot of characters do that
0: have you filmed the whole pilot, or just yeah. okay? So you did film the pilot.
1: We filmed the pilot and not the not the other episodes yet. What we're yeah. hoping to do is sell the pilot so it can get. It.
0: That's great. So do you, uh, so you're currently in the process of trying to sell the pilot. Yes. Okay.
1: But um, people can watch the trailer. I do not have the whole pilot publicly available. Yep. Yep.
0: Yet. Well, and I'll make sure to throw a link to the uh, to the um, to the trailer in the show notes.
1: There's an IndieGoGo for it, and you can. And the trailer is part of that too.
0: So, oh, perfect. Okay, I'll put that in there. Uh, yeah. So, And then just real quickly, uh, what's Sandbox Police?
1: Sandbox Police is my web series that my friends and I filmed because we're in a pandemic right now. It's filmed over Zoom. Okay. And it had started out live action. Like I had, well, we didn't start filming it live action. I'd written it to be a live action show. Like I was hoping, you know, at some point to get an actual podcast studio or a radio station and film it in there. But when this happened, I was like, okay, it's going to be a long time before we get to film anything live action again. So why don't we might as well use Zoom? And, but I had to change the premise a little bit. The original premise had been three kids, college radio show, and the shenanigans and the hijinks and stuff they get into there. But um, I had to change the premise a little bit for Zoom to be it's um, the same three kids, but they've graduated already. And now they're all living in different places and doing their own thing, but they're continuing their show on YouTube in video podcast form. So it's a fictional podcast, essentially.
0: Ah, cool. Uh, All right. Well, last question. Where can people track you down if they want to find you? Instagram, Facebook, anything like that, or any of these shows?
1: Yeah. So there's, I have a personal Instagram. Mm -hmm. It's um, Instagram at Mediterranean Homesick Blues. And, And... the sandbox. I have a whole um, separate one for sandbox police because I put full episodes on there on IGTV, and it's just sandbox police. That's all. You gotta type in. There's no underscores or anything like that. It's just one word. I have a one plus one is two Facebook page. That's anything and is related to anything and everything that's going on with the show. Sandbox police has a YouTube channel too, so just search it. So. Okay.
0: Well, yeah. and I'll throw the links uh, as well in show notes so people can click on them if they want to have a look. Yeah, yeah I, yeah, I watched One Plus One is Two. the The trailer you sent it looks really nice. Like visually, it's really well done. So whoever you had as your um, director of photography, that did a really good job. You
1: did, yeah.
0: Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and of course, best of luck with your film career.
1: Thank you.